Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Oh my, my, my. I love, love that anthem. You all are singing today, I tell you. And my favorite part of, of that anthem is just, Glenn, just when you think it's about to, to come to an end, everything's subdued and everyone's oh we're coming that was nice they're coming then all of a sudden dawn dawn my god will not be moved right like psych just kidding not finished which may be a perfect segue into the text today because the people of israel who had been groaning in bondage for 400 years maybe they begin to hear the crescendo the crescendo of music that says your story is not over Your story is not over. Just when you think you have come to the end of any news that could be good news, it's not over that God has a new word for us. So today we continue in part three. Part, is this three, four? How many times have we done this? Okay, we're somewhere in Exodus. And we're going to begin reading in chapter three, beginning in verse one our ongoing study in the book of Exodus. Now listen to these words. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Well, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. God, it is with our brother Moses that we confess there are moments when we are afraid to look at you. Afraid of what we might see, afraid of what we might hear, afraid of what you might show us about ourselves. 
But in this moment of worship, we confess that we come into this hour of attentiveness and imagination and adoration. We come to this moment from a thousand different directions. We, we do. And we have carried with us all kinds of expectation and maybe even some baggage. And Lord, we, we simply ask that if we are to see you without hiding our face, then you would free us for the ability to do that. Remove from our minds and our hearts and maybe from the burdens that weigh down our shoulders. Remove any barriers so that your people who have chosen to come and worship you may be able to see you, to hear you, and be transformed by you. This is our prayer. This is our prayer, and we lift it now. In the name of Christ, our hope. Amen. When we were in college, I had a roommate who was a pyromaniac. No kidding. I mean, he had a serious problem. He couldn't stop playing with fire. I would be in the kitchen, and, and he would come in and not say a word, but take like the aerosol can of deodorant or something and, and draw these designs on our apartment wall, turn the light off, and then light it on fire. I mean, they were beautiful, but highly dangerous fire extinguisher deployed on that one another time i was on the telephone and i look over and i see him messing with our our ficus tree you know the ficus tree has that little hay basket at the bottom he's he's lit the hay on fire and the and the entire tree is engulfed in flame and so i have to take the tree and throw it outside fire extinguisher is out of stuff now so it goes i thought about him yesterday i thought about him yesterday because yesterday uh, I, I grilled something on my backyard and my back porch and, and, and I put the charcoal in the grill uh, but I didn't have any accelerant uh, so I used some gasoline <laughs> yeah, yeah the house is still intact but I do not recommend that you, you do that there's something there's something interesting about fire there, fire may be one of the only elements in the universe that is simultaneously attractive and repelling all at once. There is something that draws you to a fire. I mean, we gather around a fire. We, we sing songs around a fire. We roast marshmallows and make s'mores around a fire. The fire can be a good thing held in its boundaries. It, it has an attractive quality. It draws us to it. But get too close and you realize that there is a, a repelling feature. You get too close and you, you find yourself pushing back to keep a safe distance. In psychology, we refer to this as, as the approach avoidance syndrome. You, there's a part of you that wants this thing, and there's a part of you that is not quite sure you really want it. Is it surprising at all that when God is introduced in the book of Exodus, God is introduced in a flame? In a flame. Because there are many seasons in our lives when we want, we long, we desire to be drawn close to God because of the compassion, the welcome, the grace of God. But 
the closer you get to God, the more dangerous it becomes. Because when you are drawn close to that fire, it can ignite something in you that you're not sure you wanted. This is the call of Moses. He's drawn to something, and and what we're about to find out is he's not too sure he really wants this thing. So I want us to talk this morning about the burning bush, but the way I want us to talk about it is in a way that sounds maybe familiar to some of our own experiences when it comes to being drawn and repelled from this fire of God's calling. So I want us to to use these three words to move us through our time together. I want us to talk about choices, voices, and untied shoes. Choices, voices, and untied shoes. First, we begin with choices. This is where the story begins. The call of Moses. So I told you several, a few weeks ago that the first 15 chapters of this amazing book described the liberation of the people of, of Israel from Egyptian captivity, right? The first 15 chapters, it all begins here. Because Moses is being recruited by God to join God in what God is up to in the world. So he's He's watching his father-in-law's flock, and like he always has been doing, he's been doing it for years, like 40 years he's been up to this job, this vocation, and he he sees this bush on fire, and the text says he turns and and he goes to see what it's all about, and out of the bush, out of the flame that's in the fire, he, he hears a voice that says, take your shoes off, take your sandals off, for you're on holy ground. I find, I find this interesting, this part of the story. Because Moses had been walking on that ground for 40 years. I mean, he knew every turn in the road. He knew every footpath. He knew every, every rock, every tree, every shrub, every bush. He knew the land. He had been there for 40 years. The land had always been holy. But something happened that day that caused Moses to awaken to an awareness that it, that it really is. Now, on the surface, we would look at the story and we say, well, no, it's holy because um, God showed up. God wasn't there, and then God was there. And since God was there, God said, I'm here, and, and the ground is holy. And we would assume the ground was made holy because somehow God showed up. But isn't God always there? I mean, don't you believe that God is already there, here, everywhere? Do we not believe that that every atom in the universe, that every subatomic particle of every atom in the universe is already right now on fire with the presence and the action of a holy God who is always up to something? God is everywhere. Don't we believe what Colossians seems to proclaim that this is the one who is in all and through all and above all? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. The ground that Moses walked on had always been holy, but something woke him up 
to recognize that it was holy. And I wonder today, is it possible that the ground that you're walking on, your everyday ground, the place and and space where you do your life with people, is it possible that the ground that you're walking on is holier than you think? See, I think that we have a basic choice in this life. There are choices to be made. And one of the major choices that Moses makes and and that you and I have to make every morning when the sun rises is will we believe that this world is simply this monotonous drudge from sunup to sundown? Is this world just dirt and brick and mortar and concrete and work and school and church? Is it just all of this or or y'all is every square inch of this terrestrial ball teeming with the fire of god is not every place we turn evidence of a god who is with us and around us and in us we have a choice to make everywhere that we live and move and groove and work and play and pray and sweat and cry and complain and cuss. It's all part of a world that is filled with God's holy fire, right? I love what Elizabeth Barrett Browning said about this. It's what she had to say about our choices. Earth's crammed with heaven. I just love that phrase. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it plucking blackberries. Isn't that great? Only he who sees takes off his or her shoes. What will it take? For you to see. The world around you, every, every square inch of the sod on which you do, life is oh, it's a fire with God. What will it take for you to see it as spectacularly holy? For Moses, he had to do something about it. The text says that Moses had to turn aside. I must turn aside and look at this great sight, he said, which is interesting to me. So here is God's action up to something. And yet for Moses to fully encounter the action of God, the the presence of God, it required something on Moses' part. He had to turn aside and chase after. Go look at, check it out. Go watch and investigate it, see? Which raises the question, to what extent are you willing to turn aside and see this thing that's on fire with God? Now, on the, on, the, on the one hand, I mean, you've already done something this morning. You're here. You're here. And, and you're not here by accident. You're not here by coercion. Maybe some of you got here by coercion. But guess what? You're here, and that's a start. So to turn aside and see this thing that's on fire begins by showing up. Maybe somebody today needs to turn aside and do one more thing. Maybe you need to join a small group or join a Sunday school community. Maybe maybe you just need a new rhythm in your life so that every every night when you go to bed, you get a cheap journal, just a cheap journal at Walgreens or CVS or something. And and before you go to bed, when you turn off your device, 
the last thing you do is not check Instagram, but rather you take, you take the, the journal and you answer, where did I see God today? Where did I sense the heat of this fire today? Where? Ah, it, was in the, it was in the clerk at Publix who was so patient with that one customer who was just a big jerk to her. And I saw something that evoked something in me. Or I saw God at the gym because there was that one guy who gave up the machine for that other guy and, and, and he yielded his turn. And it occurs to me that is that not the parable that we are to yield our lives to one another? And so I saw God teaching me something there among the, the, the baby weights. Right? That was a little confession. Maybe we just need a rhythm to, to help... Help us turn aside and see. But whatever you do, if you do something that helps you take action upon God's action, then let me just give you a heads up. Let me give you a warning. Be careful getting near that fire because something can catch. He got close and found out God wanted something from him. We pick up the story in verse 7. Verse 7 continues, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a country, a country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Dynamites, the Adesites. The, the, the cry of the Israelites has come to my ear, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, and here's the hook. Here's the hook. Here's the accelerant poured on the gas, on the, on the flame. Here. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This begins with some cur- This part of the story begins with some curious verbiage, some verbs in that first sentence. If you paid attention to the verbs that God owns in this story, this is what it, he he, can, he says: I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. These are verbs that are important to pay attention to. Let's hit those verbs again just by themselves. Observe, heard, know, come down, deliver, bring up. Do you realize these are not verbs that describe Pharaoh? These verbs are never used to describe any of the pharaohs or any Caesars or any emperors or any world leaders of the global scene ever. These verbs make up God's self-introduction. I will be a different kind of God. See, the pharaohs were thought to be sons of gods, but they ruled by might and power and intimidation and violence. They ruled by subjugation. They were gods of subjugation. But God was introducing God's self as a God of liberation. I've I've seen and I've heard and I know and I come down and I deliver and I bring up. See, God is introducing a brand new way of thinking, a 
about God. But then the hook, then the hook. He turns, and the, the, the verse turns on, on a dime there because then the voice to Moses is these are all the things I'm going to do because I'm just that, I'm that kind of God. But I want to send you to Egypt to free my people. And Moses has another choice to make. Because God will never initiate an action of mercy or grace or compassion without then right away requiring that the one who has received the grace and mercy and compassion then joins God in giving more of that stuff away to other people. If you have been loved, you are called to love. If you have been forgiven, you are called to forgive. If you have been blessed, you are called to bless. There are no exceptions. And Moses is learning that this God is one who absolutely, on God's own grace, will come and set people free and do everything it requires to make that happen. But oh, by the way, you're coming with me. Moses has a choice to make, but so do we. So do we. If we come in here every Sunday and we celebrate the goodness of God, our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. That God, we sing these kinds of songs because they are true through every measure. But if we sing that truth, we have to leave this place willing to join God in what God is up to in the world setting people free. So that moves Moses into a crisis. He knows he has a choice to make, but now he starts to, well, he starts to hear these voices, which moves us from the first part of our sermon, choices, to voices. What voices do we hear? It reminds me a little bit of the, the guy who walks into a bar, and, and he's sitting there, and he's on the stool, and he hears this, he hears this, um, this voice. And, and the voice says, nice tie. But he looks around, but nobody's in the bar, but he and, and the bartender. He's like, that's strange. I, I, heard, I heard somebody, but I, he, he just goes on there. and Then he, he hears another voice before too long. Nice shirt. What? What's, who's, am I on some kind of a TV show? He looks around. There's nobody there, but he's hearing these, these voices. Again, it happens. Nice jacket. He said, okay, wait a minute. He calls the bartender over, and he says, I know that's not you talking. Is this some kind of a joke? I keep hearing these voices. And the bartender says, oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, it, it's the peanuts. They're complimentary. <laughs> Stop it. That's not even worthy. No, it's not even worth a laugh. That's a groan. That's a dad joke right there. It's a dad joke, right? Sooner or later, we all hear voices. But most of the time, we hear those voices when we suspect that God has called us to do something or be something that makes us really uncomfortable. We begin to hear voices. Moses hears voices, and they come in the form of five excuses that he begins to make right there on the spot. He knows what's happening. He has this choice to make. I sense that there's fire in the universe, and here it is. It's, it's God's holy presence. I'm going to check it out. And I sense, oh, yes, I sense that it wants something from me. There's something aflame in me. Yeah, the one who has set me free wants me to take and set others free. So he senses the choice that he has to make, but then he begins to hear voices. Like we all do. We pick up on the first voice in chapter 3, 
verse 13. Or verse 11. But Moses said, verse 11, to God, Who, who, who am I that, that, that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He, he said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. The first voice that Moses begins to hear when he realizes the thing that's happening in him, the call of God, the first voice that he has to reckon with is the voice of self-doubt. I know that no one here has ever wrestled or heard the voice of self-doubt whisper in your ear, but i got to tell you, the voice of self-doubt is a sinister voice. And he says to himself, I know how monumental this task is going to be. I know what it's going to require. And I look at myself in the mirror and I realize I don't have what it takes. I can't do this great thing that you're calling me to do. I can't do it. Who am I? And on the one hand, when I read that part of the story, you know what I want to say to Moses? I want to say, well, hang on. You know, Moses, uh, suck it up. What? Who are you? Well, who are you not to? Don't forget, Moses, of all the people, of all the Hebrews and all of Egypt, you, at the age of three, moved into the palace. You moved in with Pharaoh, and you were raised, and you went to the best schools, and you had all the things you needed. You were raised in Egyptian privilege. So who are you? Who are you not to use your privilege to set other people free? So on the one hand, I want to wrangle with Moses a little bit there. But on the other hand, do you know what I find most provocative about this story? Moses says, who am I? I can't. I'm, who am I? I'm not much. What I love is what God didn't say. What God didn't say. God did not in that moment say, oh, now Moses, come on, buddy. Come over here. You come here. Listen, you're something. Keep your chin up. Oh, you're yeah, oh, come here, buddy. You just, just buck up. You got this. You rock. You got this, Moses. He didn't do any of that. In, this, in essence, essentially, what, what God basically does when Moses says, well, who am I to do it? And God says, yeah, you're not much. You're not, you're not much. Sorry, but that's okay because I am. Because I am, and I, I, I am, and I will be with you. See, sometimes I think what keeps most of us from living a life of of calling, a life in which we feel as if God is on fire in us, is, is not that we're underqualified. It's that we underestimate the power of the company we keep. Yeah? We underestimate the power of the company that we keep. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, oh my goodness, there is nothing that cannot... Christ himself, Jesus even said it himself, didn't he? He said, with mortals, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Or in 1 John, we we hear, greater is he who is in you. Greater is the one who is in you than than the one who is in the world. When Christ abides in you, there is a greater power in you than you could possibly fathom. The first voice that he had to listen to is the same voice that we have to listen to, which is, which is hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not much. But God is not looking for much. God is looking for permission. Let me come in and let me be the Lord of your life.
I often say, and I will keep saying, the call of God will never take you where the grace of God will not sustain you. If God is with you, who can be against you? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. See, this is, this is the promise of grace. And Moses had to reckon with that voice. But that's not the only voice that he heard. Not only the voice of self-doubt, but the story continues in verse 13. But Moses said to God, yeah, okay, yeah, but... He really didn't say that, but he... Moses said, yeah, if I come to the Israelites and, and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. The second voice that Moses has to deal with, because he knows he has this choice, this fire is igniting within him, but the second voice is not just self-doubt, it's what I'm going to call the voice of agnosticism. Now don't let that word scare you or... or the word agnostic literally just means without knowing. Ah, meaning without, and gnostic from gnosis, meaning to know, is to, is to not know. So, so if you have a loved one, a friend, a colleague, somebody in your family who, who says, I'm agnostic, don't freak out on them. It's okay. It is simply a confession. I don't, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. Some of the friends who I've had who are, have confessed to be agnostic, the most beautiful conversations emerge because they will say things like, Look, I, I believe that there is, there is this force, this power, this unifying divine kind of being in the world, that hold, in, the, in the universe that holds everything together. I just don't know about using the same words that you use to describe it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a great place to start a conversation. That's not a conversation stopper. That's a conversation opener, yeah? It's basically saying, I, I just don't know. And Moses, I don't, I don't know. Because they're going to ask me who I was talking to, and I, I just, who are you? And right there, we're introduced to his proper name. We're introduced to God's proper name. It's, in Hebrew, it's four letters. It's, we call it the tetragrammaton. It's just four letters, yod, hey, vav, hey. And over, over time, we have treated it in a variety of ways. We, some have translated it as Yahweh. Some have called it Jehovah. In your Bibles, in English, it may just be in all caps, the Lord. Every time it appears, the Lord in all caps through the Old Testament. It's, it's this name, this proper name. But what I find interesting is that the, the ancient Orthodox uh, rabbis would say, it's really a name that you can't pronounce. It's not meant to be pronounced. There's no right pronunciation because you can't pronounce this name. It's too holy. It's too, it's too sacred. It's too divine. In fact, it's simply meant... To be breathed. Because when you breathe, when you say it, it sounds like the sound of respiration. And the writer in that moment is attempting to provoke you and me to remember Genesis chapter 1 when God steps down and scoops up out of the mud the first people and leans over nostril to nostril and <sighs> breathes the life, the animating life of God into the mortals. 
So to answer your question, Moses, who am I? I am who I have always been. I am who I am right now. I am who I will always be. In other words, I be. (laughs) I be who I have always been and am and will be. I am what gives you life and breath and animation and hope. So breathe. I'm just amazed that there are seasons in life where you go through a thing and you assume you're so far from God you can't find your way back. This is a word of good news that you don't have to find your way back. You just got to breathe. Rob Bell says the most fascinating thing about this name is that when a baby is born, the first thing they have to do is breathe. And so when they, when they are born, the very first thing a baby does is speak the name of God. And when we die, the last breath that we give back is given back in utterance of that holy name. <sighs> yeah. So who, who are you? Who am I? And God gives Moses a lesson in breathing. But that's not the only voice that he hears. He hears a voice of self-doubt. Who am I? He hears a voice of agnosticism. I don't really know you. I don't know. But he hears a third voice. And the third voice picks up in chapter 4, verse 1. We hear that Moses then answers, But suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord has said, the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground, and, and, and he threw it on the ground, and it, it became a snake, and, and Moses drew back from it. Then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. <laughs> and so then he reached out, and, and he grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to you. This is fascinating. Now that he's beginning to come to grips with some of the voices that have been holding him captive. See, he has to be set free before he sets others free, right? So as he's coming to grips with those voices, he comes to this next voice and he realizes, look, no matter what I say, I don't have the credibility that is believable. They will not believe me when I say that I've been with you. And so he has to listen to the voice of public opinion. He's afraid. What will people say? If I do this thing, if I say yes to this holy fire that I sense kind of, kind of igniting in me, what will people think? What will they say? And what will they assume? And God does something. God gives him three signs, and they're spectacular signs. One of them is the, is the rod. Hey, what's in your hand? It's a rod or a staff. Throw it on the ground. He picks it back up. It's a snake, you know, and then he puts it back down. So it's a rod and so forth. He goes on and does some others, too. He says, hey, put your hand in your coat. And he takes it out, and it has leprosy on it. He says, put it back in. He takes it back out, and it has no leprosy. (laughs) And then he says, go get some water out of the Nile and pour it with your hand on the ground. He pours it on the ground, and it becomes blood. And and there's this magic show going on. And if you wanted to, we could spend all afternoon talking about the dynamics of this magic show. It's really kind of strange, if you ask me. But if you you really want to know what's what's God up to in this passage, you know what's amazing to me is... All three of those signs have to do with his hand. 
That God was placing something in the hand of Moses that would be used to glorify God. So Moses, it was just a rod. It was, it was just a stick. He used it on the sheep. But in time, he would use that rod to divide the waters of the Red Sea. He would use that rod to strike the water and, and, and the rock, and water would flow from it. We're going to get to those stories here sooner or later. But for now, it's just a stick. It's just a stick. And yet God places something in his hands that he would have never imagined could have been used for the purposes of God. Is it possible that in the voice of public opinion, you have been assuming that the thing that has been placed in your hand is nowhere near worthy of being used? Is it possible that, that, that God has equipped you with something that is so unique to you that God is waiting for you to relinquish it in order to be used by God? Teresa of Avila has some things to say about this. This is what she said. You know, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out on the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands, the hands with which he is to bless his people. So the question I have to ask you is what is not what has God put in Moses' hand? What has God put in your hand? Because as we listen to the voice of self-doubt and the voice of agnosticism, as we listen to the voice of public opinion, I just want to suggest it may be possible there's something in your hand right now something in your control right now that God is waiting for you to relinquish in order to be used by God. And just a little heads up, right here at the beginning of the story, we're referring to what the Bible calls the rod of Moses, right? But a little cool thing that begins to happen as the story progresses and the more Moses begins to relinquish that thing that's in his hand, by the end of the story, you know what it's called? It's called the rod of God. When we relinquish the insignificant thing that is in our hands into the hand of God, it becomes his. But then there's another voice that he has to listen to, and I think this may be my favorite voice. This fourth voice that Moses has to wrestle with in order to come to grips with this choice that he has to make. And we pick up reading in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can't talk so good. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. I love, love, love this part of the story. You know why? Moses knew he had a weakness. He knew he had a weakness and he assumed like you and I do that our weakness is a detriment, that it's somehow a problem. The voice he was listening to was the voice of vulnerability. The voice of vulnerability. We all have vulnerabilities. And those of us who live in the part of the country where we live, we have a hard time confessing it, but it doesn't mean we don't have. We all have, 
like an Achilles heel of some sort. We all have a chink in the armor. We all have a, a thorn in the flesh. And Paul, remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? He's like, you know, God, I could be a lot more effective for you if you could remove this thorn. I got this thing that's bothering me. It's a weakness, and surely it's a problem to your mission, so remove this, and I'll be so much better off, and so will you and everybody and God. Christ says, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And we talked last week about how our weaknesses become a kind of venue in which God is able to show up and show off. If, if God's power is made perfect in our weakness, if it's all grace, then our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities create a space for grace. A space for God to show up and, and to show off. In fact, can I just ask you something? How many of you throughout the sermon have been saying, man, I wish he would fix his tie? Yeah? Have you noticed it? Have you looked at it a little bit, some of you? Yeah, all morning, all morning, well-intended uh, friends have come up and, and said, here, let me just fix this for you. And I said, no, I'm good, I'm good. They're like, what's wrong with him today? Here's the beauty, here's the beauty. Imperfection draws a kind of attentiveness and energy that perfection could never draw. What if the weakness that is yours, the vulnerability that is yours, the brokenness that is yours, what if it is the perfect venue for which God to show up and show off? What if the very thing that you think is a detriment is the place where God is hoping to be glorified in your weaknesses. Moses, I know you can't talk so good. I know you, you have a speech impediment, Moses. I know this is true, but it's on purpose. It's not by accident. It's on purpose because soon you're going to have a voice and you're going to stand before the ruler of the nation and you're going to say, let my people go. And then they will laugh and they will mock you and then I will be right behind you and with great signs and wonders back your voice up. I want your speech impediment. I want your broken thing. I want your vulnerability because in those places, unlike any other place, I can show off and bring glory to my own name, right? So... Moses is listening to all these voices, but there is one more yet, and it's in verse 13. In verse 13, it continues, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. See, he's gone to just straight begging now. Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Literally, his nostrils flared against Moses and said, what of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak fluently. Even now, he is coming to you to meet you, and when, you, when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You'll speak to him, and he'll put words, you'll put words in his mouth, and I will put words in your mouth, and everybody was going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And so he ends up meeting Moses halfway because he realizes of all the fears that he had, this is the worst. The voice of fear. The voice of fear. I, like Moses, you, like Moses, we know what it's like to, to listen to the voices 
Yeah, I've got a choice, but here's the thing. I'm not so much. Okay, well, I'm okay now with that fear, that voice, but, but I don't even know you. Okay, well, now you've worked that out. I got that under control. Well, what about what people say? I'm so worried about public opinion. Okay, so you're going to give me something in my hand that I'll be able to prove that you're working through me. Yeah, but, but what about my weakness, my vulnerability? Okay, you're going to use that. That's fine. But if I'm really going to be honest, all this, I'm just, I'm afraid I mean, everything else has been prelude. It's all been prolegomena. It's all been just a, just a preview of this last voice that I've been hearing echo in my mind. If I'm really honest with you, I know what you're calling me to do, and I know what you're calling me to be, and I'm just scared to death. I'm afraid. Okay, well, now we can do something about it. And I think what keeps so many of us from living out the call of God is that we live bound by fear. But listen to what 1 John says about fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Beloved, can I just gently put this before you? That if you are afraid and you are bound by the voice of fear that keeping you from whatever it is that God is calling you to do or to be, can I just, the longer you walk in the love of God, the less intimidating your fears become. They'll always be with you. You cannot get rid of fears. They will always emerge. But the perfect love in which you are abiding has a way of casting it out. So you say, yes, I'll take a risk. I'll roll the dice. I'll take a risk with you in this thing, God. Oh, he proved himself faithful. He didn't turn his back on me. Okay, well, then I'll try this other thing that's bigger and even, even more risky. Oh, and you were faithful there. Well, then that may mean that I can trust you in this other thing. And there it is. Perfect love begins to melt the fears that previously kept us bound, right? So these are the voices that Moses has to reckon with and yet something happens at the end. We see that he has his shoes off. He's standing on holy ground, which leads us to the last point of the day. Untied shoes. We've all got choices. And when we hear those choices, we begin to hear the voices. But it leads us to untied shoes. Can I just tell you that at the end of every day, the favorite thing that I do when I come home is I change clothes. Because most of the time at the office, I'm wearing a jacket, some kind of a suit, no tie, but you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of dressier. So when I get home, one of my favorite things to do, and I get it, it's kind of a Mr. Rogers thing. I get, you know. But I take, I take my shoes off, I change clothes, I get comfortable. But you know what I got to do, though? My, my kids even joke that I have an after work look. You know, my shirt gets unbuttoned, my glasses are kind of off, I'm just kind of chill. I've got shoes that are unlaced and opened up. And here's the problem here's the problem. I'd like to go barefoot, but I got bad feet. I can't walk around the hard surfaces, so I have to wear shoes, but I like the option of taking them off. Is it possible that that's where so many of us are? We, we, we want to respond to the fire. We want to take our shoes off because we realize, oh, this is holy space. This is a holy ground, and I want to come close and see if something lights up in me. But the truth is, I'm not too sure I really want to go there, and so I'm just going to kind of loosen my shoes so that I'll have the option to take them off. Okay, that's a start. Some of you today are ready to take your shoes off and say, yep, it's holy ground and I'm ready. Send me where you want to send me. But others, maybe the first step for you is to untie the shoe so that you are ready 
to recognize the fires that are alive all around you. I love what Thomas Merton used to say. Thomas Merton said, I don't always please God, but my desire to please God pleases God. So just untie your shoes because there are fires everywhere. Let's pray. Most good and loving God, we stop for a moment to recognize the truth of your scripture, that there is fire everywhere, that everywhere we look, you are calling us to, to join you in some divine action of love and grace and mercy and reconciliation in this world. And, and some of it draws us, it, it appeals to us, but much of it scares us to death. Show us today how to have the faith of untied shoes that we might remove them and be drawn in by your holy love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life.